So we talked about uh, we talked about how these are going to be stories, right? These are going to be story time, <clears throat> and we talked about uh, the clue that we had tonight, right? That it was ten and before the exit, so it was the ten plagues before the exodus of the Israelites out of Egypt is what we're going to be talking about tonight. And when we look at the life of Moses, right? Like honestly, I knew that one of our stories was going to have to be about Moses because there's so many like story book things that happen in Moses' life. Like he was, be, he was born while the Pharaoh was on a major murdering spree. He was put in a basket and floated down a river. Uh, he was raised by the royal family. He ends up killing an Egyptian whenever he gets older that was beating an Israelite uh, that, was, that was his slave. And he flees into the desert. He comes across very famously the burning bush that is God's presence and and talks to the burning bush. He goes back to Egypt to deliver God's people. And that's where we're going to be tonight is in that part of the story. He ends up escaping with the Israelites out of Egypt through the Red Sea that he parts. Another very famous story. And then he gets the Ten Commandments from God, which is another famous story. And he also establishes the tribe's roles within the Israelite camp as they would travel throughout the desert. And obviously, like I said, we could go into entire lessons on any of these stories. But there was this one major thing that happened. And honestly, I feel like it gets downplayed a little bit. Because the rest of Moses' life and his story is so like crazy and big. And it's the ten plagues that he puts on Egypt to get the Pharaoh to let his people go. That's the famous saying, like, like, let my people go, like is the famous saying, right? So we know that Moses was called by God at the moment with the burning bush to return to Egypt and to deliver the Israelites out of the slavery that the Egyptians had them under. But what you may not realize is when Moses first shows back up to Egypt and tells the Israelites that he has been called by God to deliver them, they want no part to do with Moses. They say, "Uh, no, dude, uh, you're an Egyptian, which he wasn't. He was an Israelite. He was just raised by Egyptians. But they thought he was Egyptian. Said, you're an Egyptian. You killed a guy. Like, I understand you were defending an Israelite, but still, you killed a guy, you got a temper, blah, blah, blah. But they were like, we do not want Moses as any part of their leader. They didn't want him to speak to the Pharaoh on their behalf because, one, they were afraid that he was still on the Pharaoh's side because he was raised alongside the Pharaoh. And two, the Israelites were under this great oppression and they felt that Moses was just going to continue this reign of oppression over the Israelites. And so we come to this passage in Exodus 6. It's the very end of Exodus 6, if you've got your Bibles tonight. We're going to start in verse 28. It says, Now when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said, I am the Lord. Tell the Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, Since I speak with faltering lips, why would the Pharaoh listen to me? Then the Lord said to Moses, See, 
I made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and, and through I multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt with the mighty acts of judgment. I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites." And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand in Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. So, I see really two things here from this passage. One, I see that God can and will use you despite your insecurities. Like we know from this passage that Moses did not view himself as a good speaker. <clears throat> I thought it was kind of appropriate that I would teach tonight with a, with a crummy voice to talk about Moses, who felt like he couldn't get up and teach because he wasn't a good speaker. But Moses seriously just turns to God and he says, how am I going to be the voice of the people if I have faltering lips? Like, I cannot speak. I don't know if he had a stutter, speech impediment, or if he just was afraid of public speech. I don't know. But we know that Moses did not view himself as a speaker. But that didn't prevent him from doing what God called him to do. And I think here's what's interesting. I think Moses was looking at this and going, God has called me to do this and I'm willing to do it, but I don't know how I'm going to do it. And so we see Moses' willingness to go before the Pharaoh, but he turns to God in willingness. He was going to do it, but he says, God, how can I do this since I am not a good speaker? And because he had willingness, I think God was, <clears throat> I think God was really trying to test his faith here and see what Moses was willing to do on faith. And he sees that Moses was being faithful to him and willing to go do this. And so God says, okay, Moses, thank you for being willing. I'm going to provide you the tools that you need. I'm going to give you someone who can speak for you and your brother Aaron. And he will be your mouthpiece. So you will go with the authority before Pharaoh. And Aaron will speak what you tell him to, to the Pharaoh. So I I look at this and I say, God can use any of you despite whatever insecurities you have about yourself. Like I'm sure that there's some of you sitting out here going, I can never be a teacher. Like I can't get up in front of people and public speak. God can still use you in other ways. Or you say, you know what? I'm not called to go on mission trips. Like I'm scared of that. God can use you in other ways. Or you can say, you know what? I don't feel comfortable sharing the gospel with my friends one-on-one. That's okay. God can use you in other ways. The important thing is to realize that God is calling you to serve him and being willing to do whatever God tells you to do, even if it's something that you don't feel comfortable with. If, If God turns to you and he says, I want you to go on this foreign mission trip, and you say, I don't have a desire to do that, but I'm willing to do that if, you, if that's what you call me to do, God, then God will provide a way. Either he will give you a piece about it or he will provide some sort of provision for 
that. You just have to trust in God and be willing to do what he says. I see that right there. The second thing I see here is an interesting thing. <clears throat> we see God say that he will actually harden the Pharaoh's heart. Which is interesting. Because why would God want the Pharaoh's heart to be hardened? Like, why would God want the Pharaoh to act against his people? Like, that doesn't make sense in my mind. So when I read that and I see God say, I will harden the Pharaoh's heart, that doesn't make sense. And so, like, I think, why wouldn't God just make the Pharaoh's heart soft so that he would let the people go and they could go? But God had a bigger plan here. And we're going to see this play out throughout tonight's lesson. So remember this question. Why did God make the, why did he harden the Pharaoh's heart? And we're going to look at that as we walk through tonight. But after God gets his team in place, give me a second, guys. So after God gets his team in place, that is so much better. After God gets his team in place, things start to get interesting, okay? So Moses and Aaron go to the Pharaoh and they go to talk to him. And they go to perform a miracle. This is what God has called them to do first. So they go before the Pharaoh and Moses tells them what's going on. They're like, hey, we're here. We want you to let our people. And, and you know, the, the line is, let my people go. <clears throat> and people always think that Moses was demanding for the Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of captivity, out of slavery. But really, all he was asking was for them to go into the desert to, to sacrifice and worship God. If you read the Bible, he just wants to take his people, the Israelites, into the desert to worship. And then they were going to come back. <clears throat> so Moses goes to the Pharaoh and he says, look, here's the situation. Here's what we want. How can we, you know, will you allow us to go do this? And the Pharaoh's like, um, no, you're not leaving. You're our slaves. You do what we want. You don't get to do your own thing. So Moses says, okay, okay. Well, I want to show you that our God, the God who is asking you to do this, is the one true God. So Aaron says, by the power of God, he turns his staff, his stick, he throws it on the ground, it turns into a snake. Okay? Really kind of creepy magic trick, but that's what God had told him to do before the Pharaoh. Now, the Pharaoh had his own magicians, sorcerers, wise men that knew tricks and knew how to do deceptive things. And all of them came out and they said, okay, okay, well, you turned your stick into a snake. We can do that too. And they all threw down sticks and they all turned into snakes. So the Pharaoh was like, well, then that means nothing, right? How do I know that your God's the true God? If you could turn a stick into a snake, everyone can do that. Well, Aaron then turns and his snake swallows up all the other snakes. Okay, really interesting story there. That we see God in his, and provide this miracle that humans co- copy, emulate, but God's miracle wins out. It ends up overtaking and eating all the other ones. <clears throat> now, if I were the Pharaoh, I would have been like, okay, your snakes win. Like, I don't want any part of this. But I get where he was coming from. He felt like Aaron and Moses were just pulling some trick to get their people out. And God hardened his heart. It says again, God hardened the heart of the Pharaoh and he didn't let the people go. So we see Moses go back to the Pharaoh and say, okay, look, if you're not gonna let our people go, 
God is going to bring upon this land of Egypt plagues. And I'm not going to read all these plagues. If you want to read them, they're in these books of Exodus, like starting in chapter 7 and going through like 14. And it lays out exactly what happens at all the plagues. But we're just going to, we're going to read this first one. And then we're just going to talk about the rest of them. <clears throat> but the first one is in Exodus 7, starting in verse 16. And it says, Then say to the Pharaoh, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, Let my people go so that they may worship me in the desert. But until now you have not listened. This is what the Lord says. By this you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff in my hand I will strike the water of the Nile River, and it will be changed into blood. The fish of the Nile will die, and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. And the Pharaoh says, fine, 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 do your worst. I'm not letting your people go. And so Aaron takes his staff. <clears throat> he, he hits the water, and all the water in Egypt turns to blood. It goes on to say, beyond just the Nile River, all the water in the different pools, in the different overflows, even the water that people had stored up in jars and stone cups, they were all turned to blood. And it smelled horrible. Okay, It, talks, it goes on to talk about how bad it smelled. <clears throat> now, the interesting thing here is that Moses didn't ask for his people to be let go permanently. He still is asking for them just to be let to go worship. And I think this is the first reason why we see God harden the Pharaoh's heart. Like why God did that. He wanted his people to be free. He didn't want them to just be able to go in the desert because I think the Pharaoh on his own, especially after a few plagues, might have been willing to allow the Israelites to go into the desert to worship. But God wanted them to go a step further and he wanted them to be free. And so he hardened the Pharaoh's heart. <clears throat> he, he forced the Pharaoh to push this further. To not let them go. To not let them go. To not let them go. To we came to the point to where the Israelites were able to leave Egypt. So we see him turn all the water to blood. Here's the interesting thing. And I don't know where they got the water. It doesn't really say. But the magicians, the sorcerers, again, were able to duplicate this miracle. They were able to turn some water. Where they got water, I don't know. It did talk about that they had to dig up new trenches. So maybe they found new water. They turned some water into blood themselves. They were able to replicate this miracle again. And so the Pharaoh again hardens his heart and says... Well, if my guys can do it, you're not really, your God isn't doing it. You're just performing a really big magic trick. <clears throat> so the Pharaoh's not impressed. And he says, your people can't go. So Moses comes to, to him again. He says, okay, God's going to bring a second plague. Second plague was frogs. Okay. Which honestly, if you read through the 10 plagues, sounds like about the least objectionable plague. Like, I like frogs, okay? Like, it might be kind of fun to have a bunch of frogs around. Like, that sounds really kind of neat. But I don't think when we look at these stories and these, like, it goes into a lot more different insects and animals and different things that, that swarm. 
I don't think we understand the level to which these plagues happened. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm legitimately thinking when it says a plague of frogs, it's not talking about like, oh, look, there's like 20 frogs in here and they're like all over the place and you can see them. I'm thinking that this room would be filled like two to three frogs deep everywhere. Like if you were standing in place, you would look around. You guys ever like, you guys ever walk through something and like there's clothes or toys or something and you like have to step like in the one spot and then like step in the one spot. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, that's what I think we always think it'd be like, as those as frogs are or there's place. I think in my mind, there were like two to three frogs deep everywhere. So every step you take, you're crushing frogs, which sounds really graphic. But realistically, I think that was the situation. <clears throat> like this plague sounds like all cute and like, oh, they're like little tree frogs and they're everywhere and they're so cute. No, I think this was like the big ugly bullfrogs and they were literally everywhere and you stepped on them and they croaked and they were just like, oh, it was bad. Okay. I don't think it was as cute as we might think. So after this one, we continue to see we continue to see the Pharaoh's heart hardened and we get to plagues three and four and we see some interesting different things happen with plagues three and four. And I think it's important to look at these two things. Plague three, Moses makes the dust on the ground, which you have to remember this is Bible times, like early Bible times. There are no buildings really. Literally everything's dirt. Okay. But he makes all the dirt. He rises up the dirt and turns it into gnats, okay? Let me just say, I have to do it. I can't help myself. Natsy, okay? That's natsy, okay? I don't know if you've ever been swarmed by gnats. It is the worst, okay? Like, I used to play golf in high school, and I still like to play golf recreationally. And if you get, like, by a like a pond or something that's got like a little stagnant corner where like some cattails are or something and there start to be a bunch of gnats and stuff in there and your ball goes there. Oh my gosh. You walk down there, those things like your sweat and everything, they get all up in your business. You start inhaling them and like coughing on them and like, and then you leave and you're like, thank goodness I found these. No, they come with you. Those daggum things follow you. <coughs> And I can't imagine, I can't imagine them being like literally equivalent to the, to the dirt. Like if he lift up the dust, the dirt that was on the ground and they all turned into gnats, that's a bad situation, okay? But here's what's interesting about plague number three. The plague number three is the first time where we see that the sorcerers, the magicians are unable to replicate the miracle. So this is the first time where we see the this is the first time where we see the magicians start to turn to Pharaoh and say, "Hey, uh, Pharaoh, I don't think that they're just doing tricks. I think this is God." In fact, the magicians are quoted in the Bible talking to Pharaoh and saying, "This is the finger of God," meaning that they acknowledged to the Pharaoh that God was doing these plagues. But, God, but the Pharaoh still wouldn't listen. God still hardened his heart. 
kept him from letting the Israelites go worship. So in comes plague four. And I said plagues three and four had something different. So plague three was that the magicians couldn't replicate it. Plague four. We see God bring in a swarm of flies. Okay. Which honestly I think is a step down from gnats. Like I don't think that's quite as bad. But it's still not good. Okay. Like imagine like a picnic when you have like a hot dog bun or something that's got like 60 flies on it it feels like imagine that with like literally everything like your skin the table the floor the the ceiling the post the food your cousin literally covered in flies okay like and if you smelled bad oh man double flies okay double flies no But what we see different in this plague is we see that God tells Moses and Aaron to tell the Pharaoh that he is going to spare the land of Goshen he's going to spare the land of Goshen from this plague and why would he do this? it's because that's where the Israelites lived and so we see here now that the plagues are no longer affecting God's people. They're only affecting the Egyptians. So this brings me to my second point of why, why God hardened the Pharaoh's heart. And I think it was because the first three plagues were intended to also punish the Israelites. Which sounds weird, but we circle back to the beginning of this story where the Israelites stood up and said, we don't want Moses leading us. And they weren't trusting in God by saying that because we know God called Moses to lead them. And so by them saying, we don't want Moses to lead us, they were saying, we don't trust God. And so God was punishing them, I feel, this is Brian's opinion, okay, from reading this, is that Brian feels that God was punishing the Israelites with the first three plagues for not trusting in him and his plan. And so I think that he, he hardened he hardened the Pharaoh's heart to continue this string of plagues so he could continue to punish his own people for their willing, their unwillingness to trust in him. And you know what? If I'm the Pharaoh, again, this is another point to where I start to see that like there's a gajillion flies covering me and I look out over the Israelite camp and there's no flies and I'd be like, okay, I give up. God is clearly favoring them. And I don't want to be on the bad side of this. Go worship your God and come back, whatever. But no, he hardens his heart again. And Moses goes, look, Pharaoh, this isn't going to end until you allow my people to go worship. And so we start to see for these next plagues, okay, we're going to roll through five through eight pretty quick because not a lot changes. But basically after each plague, Moses comes to the Pharaoh and says, now can we go? And the Pharaoh says, well, I'll let your men go, but not your women, children, and all your property. And Moses says, no, 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 another plague. Then he comes back and he says, well, I'll let your men and your 
boys go, but now your women children, your women and female children and your livestock, and no, 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 another plague. And he says, okay, well, I'll let all your people go, but you can't take your livestock and property. No, 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 another plague. So as we go through this, we start to see Pharaoh at least negotiating with Moses and understanding the severity of the situation. <clears throat> but clearly he's not getting it. He's clearly not understanding that until he allows the people to go, these plagues are going to keep coming. And so we see plagues five through eight. We see a disease riddled livestock, which doesn't sound too bad for the humans, except for livestock was their livelihood. Their cattle, their horses, their oxen was what they used to make a lot of stuff, is what they used to build a lot of things. It's what they used to sell and make money. And all that was getting diseased and dying. So not only did they, were they losing their profitability, they have all these dead bodies lying around that they have nothing to do with. Number six is boils. And honestly, to me, this sounds just about like the worst one. And if you don't know what a boil is, it's like a growth, like a, a pussy, like, it's like a big zit. Except for they're like this big around and you get them all over your body. And so like literally you can't even move. Because if you move, you rub one against your side or you rub one against another one. And they're, they're literally covering your body. Okay? And so like literally people had to just like this for days. Okay? Like, oh, oh, oh. Like, okay, it was, it was bad. Seven. Plague seven is something that I feel like we get plagued with from time to time around here, except for it was extreme. It was hail. Okay? So the storm blows in, and it says that every bit of vegetation was removed from its plant. So you can imagine a hailstorm so bad. And it says literally anyone who was out in the hailstorm, God warned of this, anyone who was out in the hailstorm was killed. Okay? Literally every leaf on every tree, every leaf on every bush, every flower, every crop, everything destroyed by hail. So now you have the Egyptians' livelihood of their, their crop or their livestock dead, their crops now dead. And if, if you're thinking, <clears throat> well, they could, after it stops hailing, they can go out and they can pick up their crops off the ground. They may be damaged, but they can still salvage them. No, no, no. Plague number eight. Locusts. And why locusts now? Because locusts eat things like plants that are laying on the ground. Okay? So it was to finish off all the hail. And so now we're after plague eight. And literally Egypt, I'm imagining, you know that scene in Lion King where, where Simba comes back and you see the pride lands and it just looks like Scar was there? You know what I'm talking about? Like I picture that's what Egypt looked like at this point. Like people are sitting here going, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Literally there's no, there's no light, there's no animals, there's no plants, there's like humans who hate each other now at this point and probably still are hurting from the boils. <clears throat> but after all this, after all this, the Pharaoh still will not let the Israelites go. At this point, I'd be like, can we impeach him? 
Like seriously, can we get a new leader in here and make this stop? But he wanted to show that he still controlled the Israelites. But what he didn't realize was he never controlled the Israelites. The person who controlled the Israelites was God. And we see here is another glimpse of God hardening the heart of the Pharaoh. And I think we see here, we see it quoted. God tells why he does these plagues. And it was to show his ultimate power. <clears throat> it was to show his ultimate power to the Egyptians and to the Israelites. Like, I don't think the Israelites, like, like, I think they knew God had the power. Like, I think about us. Like, how many times do we say that God has the ultimate power to do things? But do we really believe that? Like, do we really believe that God can send fire from heaven that would devour an entire city? Like, do we really believe that God could do that? Or do we just say that because it's in the Bible? Do we really believe that God could come down and could, like, save someone from a sickness that, like, the doctors say it's impossible for them to recover from? Do we believe God can do that? Or is it just something we say we believe? And I think that's where the Israelites were at. <clears throat> they, they said these things. They said, oh yeah, I believe that my God is powerful. I believe my God has the ability to do this stuff, but they didn't really believe it. And I think God was trying to show the Israelites and the Egyptians the full scale of his power. And so we come to the ninth plague, which is darkness. And now I don't know how many of you guys, like I'm sure we've all been in a situation where you're like in pitch black, but I don't know if you've ever stayed in that for long. Like where you seriously can like put your hand right here and not even like see it. Like you can move it around and you can't see your hand. You can like feel the wind, but you can't see it. It's pitch black. You cannot see anything. There is no light for your eyes to take in for you to see anything. Like, and if you've ever been in that situation, which I'm sure we've all been at least for like temporarily, like, oh, dark while well, I'm like fumbling around for my phone to turn on the flashlight, like kind of thing. But if you've ever sat in that darkness for any period of time, you start to like go insane. Okay, like this sounds crazy, but if you lose one of your senses, your other senses get more perceptive. So like if you can't see, even if your eyes are open, if you can't see, you start to hear things. You start to feel things. You start to like even smell things. You're like, what? That smell was not here before. Is that me? Like what in the world? (laughs) Check. Not me. Okay. But your mind starts to play games with you. And it says here that it was dark in the land for three days and people could not leave their homes. So we're talking like this wasn't, oh, the power company accidentally hit a transformer and I've got to go find my, I used my phone's dead. And so like, oh my gosh, I've got to light a candle. Like how awful is that? No, this is like, you do not escape it. No matter where you go, no matter what you try to do, there is no light for three days. You want to talk about going insane? That would make me go insane. I'd be just swinging, hoping I hit something at that point, okay? (coughs) 
And then I don't understand exactly how this works because I feel like the Egyptians would have seen it. But it says that the Egyptians had normal light. So I don't understand exactly how that works, but the Egyptians are over here throwing like raves and like partying it up with their light and the Egyptians are like, I can't see squat. Okay? Again, I'm reaching the point to here where I'm about to go kill the Pharaoh myself because I'm so sick of this crap. <clears throat> and we see the Pharaoh make his final offer to the Israelites. He says, look, you guys can go. You guys can take everything except for your cattle. That's the only thing you have to leave. Go worship. And Moses goes, we're going to sacrifice. We need the animals to sacrifice. You need to let us take it. And the Pharaoh goes, no, Moses. At this point, this is like the ultimate facepalm, right? Like, you got to be kidding me. Okay? And so it brings apart our 10th plague. This, is, this, this situation has escalated so much that... The Pharaoh tells Moses, if I see you in my presence again, I will kill you. And Moses is like, are you not watching what's going on? You're going to kill me when God's like bringing 10 plagues upon you. Okay, good one. Like seriously. And so this is where we see the 10th and final plague. And this plague is known as the plague of death. But I also kind of see it like the Israelites would have viewed it as the plague of the deliverance because what God does is he gives the Israelites this sacred time called the Passover. And if you read throughout the Bible, it talks about the Passover. And the the Jewish people today still celebrate the Passover as looking back at this moment. And it was a time where God says in this plague, he is going to kill the firstborn of every family. So it didn't matter if it was the royal family or a person in prison or an animal or anything. If you were the firstborn of your family, dead. But he told the Israelites, if you do all these certain things and follow these certain commands that included, famously, we all know, taking and putting the, lamp, the blood of a lamb on the frame of your door, then that angel of death would pass over your house. And it actually says in the Bible that there was so much death in the land of Egypt that not a single house did not have at least one dead body in it. And it says that once the angel of death had gone through Egypt, that there was wailing that could be heard from all the families mourning the death We finally see why God continued to harden the heart of the Pharaoh. It's because he wanted his people to be free. That was the whole point. He didn't want them to just go into the desert to worship and then come back into bondage and slavery. He wanted his people to be free to continue to worship him and spend their lives devoted to him and serving him. And we also see that God wanted to punish Israel or God wanted to punish Egypt for what they did to the Israelites for the time they spent enslaving God's people. So we obviously know the story. 
I'm not going to go into it because it's not the story we're covering. But Moses gets all the Israelites together. They start to head out. Again, God hardens the Pharaoh's heart. He chases after him. Moses is trapped against the Red Sea and the Egyptians are closing in on him. Moses parts the Red Sea and the Israelites walk across on dry land. Which the Red Sea is not like a little pond. It's like a massive body of water, okay? So he parts this great sea. The Israelites walk across. The Egyptians chase after them. And as the Israelites cross, Moses again hits his staff and push, the Red Sea wipes out the entire Egyptian army. So we see that God, the whole theme of this was not just to release God's people from bondage, but it was to punish the Egyptians for holding them in bondage. <clears throat> and we look at this and this story's like, this story's really like crazy. Like, and, and you hear these plagues and they sound like almost non-realistic. Like, okay, he brought like 10 billion frogs. Like, that's kind of weird. But I really see two things that we need to take from this story. And one we kind of touched on earlier, and it's that we serve a powerful God. Like, I want you guys to really, like, I know we're, I know it's hard to understand me with my voice. And, like, we're all sitting here, like, we had some fun tonight and everything. But I want you to, like, seriously take a second to stop and think about how powerful the God that we serve is. I mean, like, this is the God who spoke creation into existence. This is a God who knows everything about every one of us down to how many hairs are on our head. Some less than others. We serve a powerful God. And I think we lose sight of this way too often. We think that God is absent or, or at times I hear people say like, God's been defeated. Like God cannot even come out of it. God can't bring me out of this situation or God can't do this. God, you're basically saying God's been defeated at that point. We sit here and we say that God is not present in my life. Where is God? Why is he not with me? Why has he allowed this to happen? Why am I going through this? Why this? Why that? Why God? Why? And we forget that he is in control. That he has the power to fix anything at any time if he wants. And we may sit here and go, well, why doesn't he just fix everything? Like, why does he just fix everything? But that brings me to my second point. God always has a plan. <clears throat> you look at the story of the plagues and you go, why would God harden the Pharaoh's heart? Why would he not just let the Pharaoh let the people go? Why did he make him do this? And it's because God had a bigger plan in mind than what the Israelites could think of. And so there's so many times that I hear teenagers talk about, well, I wish God would just let me do this. I'm trying to serve him. I'm trying to honor him. I'm trying to love him. I'm trying to do this with my life for God. Why won't he let me do it? And what they don't realize is that God has a different plan in mind for them. And let me tell you right now, if God has a different plan in mind, it's a better plan. 
So we have to remember that we serve a powerful God and that God always has a plan. And as much as we feel like we know, like we feel like we know ourselves pretty good. Like I've got a pretty good grasp on who Brian is, okay? Like, trust me, I know myself real well. And I may think that I know what's best for me. And I think I may know what's best for my life. But we have to always acknowledge that God knows what's best for us, even if it's not what we think it is. Even if we think we know what's best for us, it may not be. God knows. We have to trust him and his plan. And this is, honestly, this is possibly the most challenging aspect of Christianity. Like, really, it is. Because how hard is it for us to admit that we don't know what's best for ourselves? That sounds crazy, right? If you ask someone, like, what's best for you to run through that glass door or to sit in the chair? You'd go, sit in the chair. But what if, what if, I'm not saying, do not run through my glass door tonight. That is not what I'm saying. But what if God's plan was for you to go through that glass door and for whatever reason, he uses it for his glory. You may sit here and say in every situation, the best thing is for what you think you should do. But God always has a plan in whatever happens. So always trust God and always lean into his plan. No matter how hard it is for you, no matter how hard it is to see or how hard it is to trust, we have to lean into God. And someday, someday, we will get to revel in the amazement of what God has done, not just in our lives, but in the lives of others around us too. Like that's the whole point, guys. That's the whole point is to, to, to be here to be in a youth group, to be in church, to be a follower of God is to see the way that God moves in our life and to be a part of one another's lives and to see how God moves in their lives, to support one another, to love one another, and to be here for one another as God continues to help us to grow. I think that's what I see from this story, right? This story is not just about Moses. It's not just about Aaron. It's not just about Pharaoh. It's about all of God's people. And that's what we have to realize whenever we look through these things that we're studying is that these stories are not just about you. They're not just like how it applies to you, what matters to you. It's about how it applies to all of us as a group, as Christians, how we can be better followers and how we can be better community of believers. Let me pray for us and we'll be dismissed from here. God, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for this story that we get to study, that we get to look at, that we get to understand And God, I just pray that you would just help us to take these things from this story, that you have power and you have a plan, God, and that we would see that and that we would trust in that and allow it to work in our lives. God, I pray that you would just be with these students and help them to trust in you and follow the plan that you have for them in everything they do. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.